3: Hey, everyone, and welcome to Real Life, Real Crime Daily. I'm Jim Chapman. I'm Woody Overton.
2: And I'm Mike Agavino. We promised y'all that we would uh, continue a series that we are calling the Crimes of the Century. Our first crime that we featured was the John Benet Ramsey story. And today we are going to talk about Son of Sam. Yes.
3: Huge case back in the
2: day. Back in Mike's day. (laughs) (laughs) Back in the day. But, you know, Mike just realized that he's 12 years older than Jim and seven years older than Woody.
0: Yeah.
2: Um, And, uh, yes, it uh, – back in the day and back in Mike's day. And so the the crimes of Son of Sam were committed over a 13-month period from late June of 1976 through early July of 1977. But there was really – a seven-month period of absolute fear, starting in January of '77 to uh, July of '77, which we will get into as we as we get into this story. But just to give you a little bit of the of the backdrop, um, the 1970s in New York City uh, were not good. The uh, country was coming off of a uh, devastating recession. You remember the uh, all the challenges in the. Uh, Uh, in the gas and oil business and the lines around the block for, uh, uh, for gas stations and crime in New York city uh, was at, at that point uh, the highest levels of all time. Each of those years, 76 and 77, there were over 2000 murders uh, each year in, uh, in New York city. And so crime was out of control. The city was not a safe place. Um, about the only thing that was going well in New York at the time were the Yankees. It was sort of the renaissance, the beginning of the renaissance of the New York Yankees. Got
3: Reggie Jackson that and Ron Guidry.
2: Exactly. That hadn't been good since the days of Mickey Mantle. Um, had roughly gone a decade and a half of uh, being irre- irrelevant and uh, in 76 on the backs of yes, uh, Thurman Munson and Reggie Jackson, uh, Ron Guidry, Louisiana boy, yes, yep. and others, the Yankees found their way into the playoffs and eventually a a World Series. But uh, the media is a huge part of the story of Son of Sam, and we will uh, we will go back to this theme. Uh, time and time again, as we as we go through the story. But as somebody who spends a lot of time studying the media, I have another podcast called "The Death of Journalism," where we specifically look at what has happened to the media and uh, uh, and uh, the reasons why truth is no longer uh, the primary uh, driver of journalism in this uh, day and age. If you will. catalyst, it's, it's really uh, it's really ratings, but Back in 1970s, specifically 76, 77, New York City, this is really before even cable. So no internet. Hey, 77 is when Star Wars came out. (laughs) I had a Millennium Falcon. No no internet, no cable television. Uh, There were really two radio stations in New York that pretty much controlled the market, WABC, 77 WABC and 66 WNBC were the the two big stations. You had CBS Channel 2, NBC Channel 4, ABC Channel 7 and a couple of indies, Channel 9 and Channel 11 and you had the papers which were the New York Times and then the tabloids, the Daily News and the New York Post and the media is a huge part of this story because in 1976 – a relative unknown by the name of Rupert Murdoch bought the New York Post for $30 million. The Post had been a perennial loser. The Daily News was the dominant tabloid. Murdoch came in after taking over his father's business in Australia, moving to uh, the United Kingdom and having a lot of success in the tabloid uh, business in the UK and uh, came to New York with the intent of making uh, the Post, the number one tabloid in America, and that becomes a big, big story, as I said, throughout this. So let's uh, let's go back in time now with Jim taking us through the beginning, the genesis.
3: Of yes, the and actually uh, one other thing that we failed to mention was going on during that time. The mafia was huge in New York City. That was the time in the in the mafia. There was a shooting that occurred in the Pelham Bay area of the Bronx. Two women, Judy Valenti and Donna Loria, eighteen, were sitting in Valenti's double parked Ozmobile when a man approached the car and he fires three shots from a gun. Loria was killed instantly, and Valenti was shot in the thigh. Before the man walked quickly away. Now, Valenti described her attacker as a white male in his 30s, approximately five foot eight and about 200 pounds. He was short and had dark curly hair.
1: Listen, y'all, this is New York City, and they had, that would tally to like 2,000 murders that year. So this was just one the murders that would have occurred on well on october 23rd of
3: 1976 it happened again two more people were shot but they both survived carl denaro 20 and rosemary keenan 18 were shot while sitting in a parked car in a residential area of flushing queens now both survived as i said but denaro was struck in the head by one of the
1: bullets but from a law enforcement standpoint, this is nearly three months later, and neither one of the victims were killed, so they didn't tie it into anything else. And it really didn't receive special attention.
3: Well, on November twenty fourth, 1976, a couple is attacked by a man in military fatigues. Donna Damassi, who was 16, and Joanne Lamino, who is 18, were headed to Lamino's home in Floral Park, Queens, when they were approached on the street by a man, again dressed in military fatigues, who produced a revolver and shot each of the women once. The attacker fired several more shots before he took off running. Though she was shot in the neck, D'Amazzi survived without permanent injury. However, Lamino
1: was shot in the back and was paralyzed for life. But the D'Amazzi and Lamino attacks came a month after the flushing attacks and you know, they just appear random and both victims survived. So it's not even a murder. They're not even looking at a murder at this point and no one thought these things were connected.
3: Well, on January 30th, 1977, there was yet another attack with seemingly no motive. Christine Freund, 26 and her fiance, John deal 30 were shot as a satin deals car in flushing Queens panicked and Deal sped away. He suffered minor injuries, but Freund was shot twice and later died in the hospital. Now, following this murder, the police made their first public acknowledgement that the attack bore similarities to earlier incidents. All the victims were struck with a forty-four caliber bullet, and the assailant appeared to be attacking young women With long, dark hair. So once police connected the prior incidents to the Freud murder, the tabloid coverage began. Multiple stories every day in both the Post and the Daily News, as Mike has spoke about, and the city began to panic. Now, Woody, let me ask you something. Wouldn't they have been able to match slugs
1: to a single weapon in 1977? They they could have if they had known, several factors on this. First of all, you'd have to have be suspected that the slugs were related to each crime. Okay. Secondly, the slugs have would have had to been in good enough condition to get the striations off of it underneath the mic a um, microscope, and y'all each. Pistol or each weapon and rifle, not shotguns, but the, when the projectile is fired out, fired out of the weapon, it spins and at least certain grooves on the bullet. That's how they can identify it. Now, nowadays, they have a database, a national database, where you can pick up uh, a slug from anywhere and put it in and it can hit an instant match. Back then, wow. not so much. I mean, it had taken, they, they would have been way ahead of the game to figure out. They need to match these slugs.
3: Yeah, it's important to remember the time frame and, and the fact that, you know, we say it a lot. Back then, police officers just had to be more skilled. They right. didn't have the technology they have right. now. So, a little over a month later, after that incident, on March 8th, 1977, a college student is attacked in the same area, Flushing, Queens. Virginia Voskarichian, 19, was shot in the head and died instantly it was revealed at a press conference 2 days later after Voskarechian's murder that police strongly suspected the same 44 caliber bulldog revolver that had
1: been used in all the other attacks it was on y'all we got a serial killer on our hands yeah you know, so now um after all these incidents and they, they figuring that a certain type of female is being targeted um I better go even further, back to matching slugs, but a forty four Bulldog revolver was not a common weapon. That's a, that's a more expensive weapon. You know, 22 pistols killed more people than any gun in the history of the world. Forty four Bulldog revolver, I've owned almost every gun there is. I, I've never owned one. So they're tying that together. They're tying the locations. They're tying the, the profile of the female victims, and boom they figure out we have a serial killer. And again, a serial killer for those of you who don't know is a person who kills, um, basically two or more people in separate incidents that don't appear to be related in any other way. So as you would imagine
3: the tabloid newspapers jump all over it and they're battling for the latest information and the sales of papers, they're flying off the shelves. You got to remember the time, y'all. They have people on, you know, the street corners, like you'd imagine. Get, you know, serial killer on the loose. Buy the paper, all those sorts of things. And had a- absolutely everything going for it as a tabloid perfect storm. Sam Roberts, who was the editor of the Daily News in 1977, told the New York Times of the media frenzy, and he was quoted as saying it was an ongoing unfolding crime story that New Yorkers were genuinely terrified about.
1: It should have been
2: well we were uh, speaking as one of those New Yorkers at the time and at the time I was fifteen years old yes that's my it was my sophomore year I always think about this as the summer the summer between my freshman and sophomore year because it really reached its apex right as school ended that year but There are a couple of things I think about uh, when I think about this story. I immediately see the sketches. The police sketches of the killer were a part of every bit of the communication by the newspapers, by the TV stations. They're in the background of uh, behind an anchor uh, as the anchor is talking, they're on the front page, every single Day of the tabloids, and it was all about uh, uh, stoking fear in uh, in New Yorkers. And I had a uh, I had a girlfriend at the time. I mean, if you if you look at the victims, the victims are older. The victims were the youngest was eighteen. Loria, the uh, the first victim, so they were eighteen into uh, into their twenties, and and they all occurred in the boroughs. Of New York City, so uh, mostly in in Queens, and so being fifteen and being in the suburbs of Long Island, uh, you know, twenty miles from uh, from the closest of uh, of any of the the murders. Rationally, there shouldn't have been that much fear, but it was. It was crazy. It was uh, it was paralyzing. I had a girlfriend who had long dark hair, and uh, and people who had dark hair at the time were uh, were either cutting their long hair short, were dyeing their hair blonde, were wearing it up in a bun, or wearing a hat or something else to hide uh, that look, believing that this was the type that uh, uh, that the uh, at that time the forty four caliber killer was. Uh, uh, was targeting. And it's probably not that hard for people who live in lockdown states uh, to imagine what this was like, because it was very much like living in a lockdown state during COVID. The streets were empty at night. Nobody was going out to dinner. Nobody was going to the movie theater. Nobody was doing anything at uh, uh, at night. And uh, And the tabloids were just they were in the fear business the daily headlines were purposely designed to frighten the hell out of you no, especially nothing sells like murder especially women and so you know when you when you put in perspective that there were 2000 murders that year in new york and this guy only murdered six people you know shot 13 murdered six it's a very small percentage of the overall murders, but it was the only story being told every single day right. by these two newspapers in a war. And eventually as things move forward, the, uh, the, the killer becomes unbelievably brazen and actually involves a specific reporter in the story
3: right and you know uh uh i want to just circle back y'all and this is why i brought up the mafia at the beginning so uh mike had mentioned he was from the suburbs of long island area and that was a a sammy the bull territory you know that was uh, me and woody both had this huge fascination for the for the mob right. and uh Look, they didn't like it, I'm sure, any more than anybody else, that someone was impeding on their territory and killing women. And who is it? I'm sure they wanted to catch him worse than the cops right. did, yeah. uh, especially because he's messing with the women in that in that area. And uh, so just that's why I brought that up at the beginning. Now, April 17th of 1977, the killer announces his identity for the first time. In the early morning hours, Valentina Suriani, 18, and her boyfriend, Alexander Iso, 20, were sitting in Suriani's car near her home in the Bronx when they were each shot twice. Iso died at the scene, and Suriani later in the hospital now at the scene of the april murders investigators found a letter from the killer addressed to the NYPD captain joseph borelli in it the killer referred to himself as the son of sam
1: That that i would dare say was the birth of nicknames for serial killers and suggested he was
3: following orders from his father, and promised the killings would continue. Naturally, the Daily News, y'all, they get that tip and they ran it as a front page story. Murder. Nothing says like murder.
2: For for whatever reason, for the forty four caliber killer thing, didn't it? it didn't scare like. Son of Sam it's, nickname. It's not as catchy Stare. as the Son of
1: Sam, right? Son of Sam. It sounds like the son of the devil to me. I'm the Son of Sam. Well, son of, it, son of it, Sam. Forty again, caliber caliber. again, it was the again it was f- the
2: coverage, the way that they did it, yeah. the uh, all the imaging around Son of Sam, and so on May
3: 30th, 1977. Iconic Daily News columnist Jimmy Breslin received a handwritten letter from someone claiming to be the son of Sam. Within the extremely creepy letter, the writer mentions the first victim, Donna Loria. Warning, Breslin, do not forget Donna Loria. And you cannot let the people forget her either. She was a very, very sweet girl. But Sam is a thirsty lad, and he won't let me stop killing until he gets his fill of blood. And the letter was signed, the son of Sam. The Daily News published a redacted version of the letter in what will become one of the paper's biggest selling issues ever. What he said at best, murder sells. Jimmy Breslin had written more, about this story than
1: anyone. And now, Wait, you know what? He was in it. You know what? Let me tell you all something. On a case like this, the media can fuck it up for the cops so bad. All right. Now, they knew um, the weapon was a forty four bulldog. They knew who was stero- not stereotyping, who was choosing out as his victims. Um, yes, there's letters in, I think it, they're, You have to maybe publish a certain part. when you do that, you're opening Pandora's box because you're going to get every freaking nut job in the world. They're going to call in thousands and thousands of tips. And what happens? Each one of them has to be run down. And it just kills the cop's time. That's probably a bad word. It takes up the cop's time when they could be focusing on the son of Sam. So, June 26,
3: 1977, a couple gets attacked outside of a club after leaving a disco in Bayside, Queens. Judy Placido, 17, and Sal Lupo, 20, were shot while sitting in Lupo's parked car. Now, both of those survived the injuries.
2: Yeah, so June 26th, uh, was just three days before what would be the first anniversary of the first shooting. Keeping in mind that when Son of Sam first shot those people in uh, in Pelham, no one had any idea it was him, and so it wasn't until January that police connected all of the earlier shootings to uh, the forty-four caliber killer slash. Son of Sam. But now the media was making an enormous deal about the one year anniversary that he was going to strike that night. And we're just out of school. So back then in New York, school ended about June 20th, somewhere right around then. It's your first week of summer. Everybody wants to go out, everybody wants to hang out. And you're paralyzed. In fact, the entire economy was paralyzed. I mean, it wasn't like uh, again going through COVID lockdowns and the uh, government cutting you know, trillions of dollars, uh, uh, putting trillions of dollars back into the economy. This was following the uh, the recession of the uh, of the '70s. Uh, it's the Jimmy Carter uh, White House. It is a rough period of time. Crime beyond the uh, Son of Sam was was terrible, and uh, now the the New York economy is really really being hit. There's a uh, there's a blackout that occurs, and and uh, if you if you look out uh, the blackout of of 1977 in New York, you will see unprecedented looting. I'm not talking about the kind of stuff we saw in uh, Hollywood, uh, California, uh, in the uh, in the wake of the uh, George Floyd situation, it it was everywhere. Every store being broken into. It was just complete anarchy. It was lawlessness around uh, around New York. And so, in the, the backdrop of those kind of things, from an economic standpoint, and you're a uh, you're a high school. Freshman looking at your sophomore year like I was, you've got a girlfriend with, uh, with brown hair, and you want to be out, and you want to be partying, and you want to be with friends, and you want to go to the movies and everything else, and you can't go anywhere because everyone is completely paralyzed with fear that on the anniversary, he is going to strike again, and no one knows where he's going to strike. Yeah, so
3: everybody's just kind of waiting, waiting, you know, on, on the edge of their seat in fear. And in July 31st, 1977, he strikes again. Now, up until this point, they had developed a profile of sorts. And, you know, the dark hair, long dark hair was something. If you had long dark hair, you were probably dying it by that point. But Son of Sam did something for the first time and. He attacked a victim with blonde hair. Now Robert Violante 20 and Stacy Moskowitz 19 were shot in Volante's car. Violante would lose his left eye. Moskowitz would die 18 hours after the attack. This was the first time son of Sam had ventured into the borough of Brooklyn and the first involving the victim Moskowitz with blonde hair.
2: Yeah. Um, I remember that really well, because I remember the coverage uh, about him branching out into Brooklyn. Uh, I also remember that Moskowitz's uh, mother—I guess the—Moskowitz lived for a period of time, and they brought her uh, to the hospital, and uh, her family arrived at the hospital. uh, And I remember her mother on camera grieving, and her mother with her— uh, her uh, uh, dyed red hair became uh, omnipresent in this story. What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra low net carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and
3: more protein than the leading brands, and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at
0: hero.co.
1: Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich.
2: about things, and, and this particular shooting is one that years later, the actual son of Sam, whose identity we'll reveal in in a few minutes, uh, uh, claimed not to have been the person who pulled the trigger. It's a really interesting twist that we'll uh, that we'll get into. But I remember the the. Police sketches of the killer. At, at this point, it was it was really confusing because the sketches evolved, and each one looked less and less like the one prior to it. Which, for whatever reason, just made you more scared. I think they they evolved in in such a way that they they were scarier as. Uh, uh, as they, as they moved along. I haven't mentioned this up until now, but I have two older sisters. So I was 15 at the time, but I had a sister who was uh, 17 at the time and a sister who was 18 at the time. And so they were both with uh, brown hair. And so they were, uh, you know, they were in the, uh, in the target range. And I, I remember uh, just them being paralyzed. Like you couldn't even you couldn't even have a conversation about it. And, uh, you know, Friday nights, Saturday nights, it was, uh, you know, it was just everybody staying home, playing board games, doing anything to uh, uh, to take our minds off of what was going on. We talked before about the, the one-year anniversary and then went uh, right to the July 31st uh, uh, Moskowitz uh, murder, but that that period around the anniversary and until uh, the end of July, the merge that that was that was the scariest yeah. month. Yeah, well, let
1: it me tell was you something.
2: Such a scary
1: month. I wouldn't call it fear or scary. I would actually say it was a rain of terror. This cat's running raining down on New York City and the surrounding areas. What was the pressure like on the police at that time, Mike?
3: I mean, you've got a guy. At some point, people have got to start saying, "Why can't they catch this guy?" And and were the police feeling enormous pressure just from a uproar standpoint?
2: Yeah, and I would equate it to what we saw go on with the Idaho murders, where the police were actually, uh, well, in the Idaho murders, I think we. We later found out they were actually onto something, onto someone, and it had been on them for some time. But in their uh, public appearances, uh, didn't offer much by way of comfort to the public that they were uh, that they were getting close to anyone. In this particular case, we know now that they were absolutely nowhere at this point in time, and that things things turn rather uh, dramatically and amazingly. But uh, but the uh, the police and it was it was Borelli who was referenced earlier, who uh, was the lead and the face on uh, on television, and I would say uh, Borelli and the New York City Mayor at the time uh, Abe Beam, were the were the two people who were most in the spotlight, most getting criticism and. The, the devastating effects to an already weakened New York economy were uh, were just being, uh, you know, exacerbated in a in a really big way. And so uh, the public was not getting any kind of feeling like the police were making progress here. And that just stoked the fear further. And,
1: and I'm going to call it a reign of terror, y'all. This guy's bringing down on New York City to not just fear. Um But I always say there's no such thing as a perfect crime. And generally, the further these serial killers go along, they're going to make a mistake, and that's what happened in this case. A few days after Moskowitz's murder, an eyewitness came forward claiming to have seen a man with what looked like a gun minutes before the Brooklyn shootings. An eyewitness just happened to mention that police officers were on the block writing parking tickets around the same time. So a search revealed one of the ticketed cars that night belonged to David Berkowitz of Yonkers, New York. Yonkers is in Westchester County, but it's the first town immediately north of the Bronx. And it wouldn't have been out of the ordinary for someone from Westchester to be in Brooklyn visiting, but hey, it was a lead and it was a good lead. So, a call to Yonkers police revealed that they were familiar with Berkowitz because he was being investigated over complaints that he killed a neighbor's dog. And on August 10th, 1977, the police go to stake out Berkowitz's apartment building in Yonkers. His car is parked outside, and and a cop sees the butt of a rifle sticking out of his car from under the back seat and without a warrant. He enters the vehicle and the police find the rifle, maps of the crime scenes, ammunition, and an unmailed letter in the glove box addressed to Jimmy Breslin Daily News. So the cops wait for Berkowitz to leave the apartment building and get in his car. And once he does, they surround the vehicle and one of them calls out, David Berkowitz? Berkowitz says, nope. I'm the son of Sam. You got me. And a bag containing the forty-four caliber yes. revolver was recovered next to him. The following day, Berkowitz confessed to the shooting jaw, and he told the cops that he received his instructions to kill from his neighbor, Sam Carr, who communicated through his demonic dog, Harvey, and who himself was inhabited by the devil thinking that this may have been a just a ruse to make himself look insane. Uh, um, the state did what they did. And ultimately they said Berkowitz was mentally fit to stand trial.
3: Yeah. Basically they heard his story of saying the dog was telling him to do this. And they're like, nobody can be that crazy. You're just trying to act crazy. Right. You're really right. not. Cause nobody's going to listen to their dog. Right. Well, May 8th, 1978, Berkowitz withdrew that insanity defense and he pled guilty to six murders. Look, if you go back, the second they they asked him, are you Berkowitz, he basically looks at him and says, I'm the son of Sam. Right. He gave it up. At that point, he, he couldn't believe he had got away with it as long as he did, right. but he was proud of it and, and now it's all about the notoriety that's going to come with it. So, he withdraws that insanity defense, pleads guilty to the six murders, and was given a six given six twenty-five year to life sentences for the crimes, which of course he's been denied parole ever since.
2: I I can just I can look close my eyes and look and see it now. And if you go do searches, I'm sure you'll you'll find this. Berkowitz had a smirk, he had a smile on his face, sitting in the back of a police car being brought to wherever they were to wherever jail they were bringing him to the first time but i I remember the just the, the how chilling it was to see that this guy was. Laughing, he was smart. He was so proud of what he had done, um, and you know, probably uh, you know, a lot of uh, a lot of cases these days, serial killers. There are uh, certain news outlets that will uh, refuse to use their name right. publicly. But they don't
1: and, want to give a, that you know make more copycats, especially these mass school shootings and stuff. They save it once, and then after that, they save the shooter.
2: The Post and the Daily News turned this guy into a star.
1: Yeah, a legend, uh, an urban legend.
2: And uh, you could just feel uh, it just in a really, really creepy way how this guy – and it's uh, – and you can see it in the the letters he sent to Breslin, the letter he sent to Borelli um, – uh, again you can search those uh, online and, and you will see it but he uh, he had this just really really eerie uh, smile on his face and that was and that continued through uh, uh, all the different times you were able to see him and they were uh, uh, you know at arraignment and and uh, and other things and so um when I started looking back at uh, at this case, as we started our Crimes of the of the Century series, I was drawn to cult, uh, satanic cult. This this whole uh, idea that uh, that Berkowitz didn't act alone; that he was part of a larger group, even that there were ties to uh, Charles Manson and uh, and to others and. And there was a, uh, an investigative journalist by the name of, of Maury Terry who dedicated really the rest of his, uh, his life uh, to investigating, to continuing to investigate the Son of Sam case because he believed there were broader ties to a satanic cult known as the Process Church of the Final Judgment. And so in the month following his arrest – Berkowitz wrote a letter to Sam Carr, who, again, was his uh, was his neighbor. Um, and
1: and, he was in jail when he wrote
2: this. Yes. Uh, where he referred to his neighbor, Sam Carr, as, quote, Sam, my lord, and, quote, Papa, God. In the letter, Berkowitz threatened to expose Carr as the true force behind the Son of Sam killings and a spate of other killings. Years later, Berkowitz would say from prison that he was acting in concert with a group of devil worshipers that were led by Carr and his two sons. I'm sorry. Excuse me. <laughs> Bless you. Um, the investigative journalist Maury Terry and Berkowitz would become, uh, I don't know. I mean, they were associated. I, I would even say friends. Um, uh, Berkowitz would— write letters to uh, to Terry and would give him clues. Uh, I can uh, uh, recall Terry showing the connection between Berkowitz and the cars. There was a a path that ran behind Berkowitz apartment building that ran right to the car's house and uh, and continued further into a uh, a park in Yonkers, uh, and that inside of uh, an old area of that park, there were uh, demonic worship signs. There was an area where they found the bones of uh, a number of German shepherds. That the uh, that a group had been regularly uh, killing German shepherds in that particular this case. Is, it was, it, this
1: it, is according to Berkowitz, correct?
2: Well, this is according to Terry, uh, Maury Terry. Who got the information from Berkowitz. Well, he got information from Berkowitz, but then he went to the park. Undermeyer Park is what I believe the name of the park is. And uh, so uh, Berkowitz claimed on video that he had not been the shooter for several of the crimes. I mentioned uh, the Moskowitz uh, uh, murder in Brooklyn, but, uh, but others as well, and that you know he was convicted. Uh, you know for all of them, but that he he also said that he was never alone for any of them, and he indicated first the involvement of both of Sam Carr's sons.
1: I wonder what Harvey had to say about
2: that. Harvey was dead by that. Harvey's the dog, folks. <laughs> um, and uh, look, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, uh, uh, but I, I find Terry's work. Pretty interesting here. The the Carr family members, the two sons, both died under suspicious circumstances shortly after Berkowitz's arrest. The, the first uh, was John Carr, who was the oldest son. He was shot dead in Minot, North Dakota in February of 78, so about six months after Berkowitz's arrest. The death was originally ruled suicide, but uh, – an investigation was reopened, and it was later declared uh, a murder. And Terry Gardner, the sheriff of Ward County, North Dakota, where Minot is, told the New York Times that he quote had no doubt that the murder in Minot was tied to the Son of Sam case. So, uh, look, you can you can search this stuff and uh, and go down many a rabbit hole here, but uh, you know, there's there's a lot there. Uh,
1: Can I ask you a question?
2: Yeah,
1: do they have any, any more Son of Sam murders with a forty-four bulldog or anything after Berkowitz is locked up?
2: Not to my knowledge. Thank you. But the two case closed. But but the Carr brothers, the Carr brothers. And again, remember, and son of Sam. Yeah. Who were the sons of Sam? I, I the sons the, the of Sam brothers. were the car brothers, And, and right?
1: Harvey's dead, too.
2: <laughs> Harvey's definitely I mean, dead. Wait. Okay. Okay. So,
1: I want to know how Harvey fucking
2: died. So Michael Carr, who was the younger one, who was 27 years old at the time, died in a very suspicious one-car accident on the West Side Highway yeah. in Manhattan. So uh, Maury Terry's work, for those of you who are interested, is captured in a Netflix series. Um, a descent into darkness uh, is what it's called, as well as is a book it? he wrote entitled "The Ultimate Evil."
1: Pretty interesting. I've
2: actually, I saw one and read the other,
1: but they didn't tell me
2: how Harvey died. <laughs> so uh, we're we're making uh, jokes about Maury Terry, but there are a lot of people who respect this guy's this guy's work. I'm not I'm not telling you that uh, that I'm a believer, but uh, but there's. It's worth spending the time and watching the the Netflix special. I don't know that you want to you want to read the book, but um.
3: I would also throw in there there that in the, the one the people that lived never mentioned more than one person. Right. They never saw yeah, more than one person. Awesome and I mean, and I,
1: my personal there opinion. were eyewitnesses that yeah. lived and they described Ber- Berkowitz to a T. And the New York Times saying that the sheriff and deputy sheriff, not the sheriff. In Ward County, saying he had no doubt it's tied into it. I mean, who the fuck knows where this? Uh, what do you call Barney Fife came from? <laughs> that uh, the, after Son of Sam or Berkowitz gets locked up, there's no more that fit this profile. Case is closed, in my opinion. I'm just I, I get all this, and but I did I, I read the book and I saw the movie. Um, Son of Sam. Certainly, certainly they could have been
3: instructing him or knew about it. I, I don't know about being involved in the, in the
1: murder. You know what? Let's, we absolutely need to cover the West Memphis Three one day, okay? Because it's all the same bullshit afterwards about satanic and all that shit and it's all, all proven false. Every case I've ever heard of that that they said is satanic and the rituals and all this bullshit has always been bullshit. Son of Sam killed him. but David Berkowitz. I'm not. I, I I appreciate your point. I'm just giving you my.
2: Heart. Yeah, and I'm I'm not disagreeing with you. Right. Uh, I'm just saying there's someone well, no, out it's, there. It's, who's, it's interesting. Who dedicated yeah. his life Bartiff. to suggesting there's. Uh, hey, uh, this was part of something larger. Ab- so
1: ab- absolutely, and props to him for believing
2: what he believed. Yeah. To me, I, I I put a pin in this case, and it's. To have lived it as a teenager and then to look back on it, uh, back on it now, uh, I certainly didn't identify it this way at the time. But it is—it's uh, a landmark in terms of um, you know what is now the norm in 2023, which is the uh, the stoking of panic, the uh, that uh, that the media. Uh, Sure. Is rewarded for it. It is you know they are businesses businesses that are driven by uh, subscriptions and by yep. advertising and the more people that are buying that paper and reading those stories, obviously the more revenue they are they are generating. Mm-hmm. And this case proved beyond a shadow of a doubt that you could build a narrative around the story of. Six murders occurring over a 13 month period in a city where there were over 2,000 murders during that same time, and uh, and literally shut an economy down. Uh, period. Scare the hell out of every female age 16 to yeah. uh, to 30 in the uh, in the area, and it became you know what put Rupert Murdoch on the uh, you know, and let's not forget where Rupert Murdoch is today with uh News Corporation and Oni Fox and and the the Post obviously still and uh, it, it, uh it, and it, a lot of it was uh it, the the media's active role in stoking fear was it didn't was shut down here. it
1: didn't shut down all the economy cuz i guarantee you- You couldn't get a firearm or a guard dog (laughs) or whatever. I'm telling you from experience. It was actually the German Shepherds Uh, at the time. No, no, Derek Todd Lee happened. Derek Todd Lee happened. I went to Baton Rouge Police Supply to buy a, a revolver, a small revolver for my mother. Couldn't get one. And he said six months on back order. You couldn't get a can of, of mace. You couldn't get anything, but the media was fueling the fire. And they actually had it wrong, uh, 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 of course, you know the profile and everything else. But so I get that and shutting it down back then. Holy shit, could you imagine they had had the media cover they have now? The social media and everything else. <laughs> Well, he would have never gotten well, away with it. That caught him a lot sooner. Nowadays, he wouldn't even got the recognition that he got back then, right? This is like one of the landmark cases for serial killers and, and getting away with it. And then, yeah, you know, it's nothing, the murder and the sensationalizing and shit and, and bringing in the devil worship and all that and the suspicious death of family members. That that all sells. And you, you're you dead on, spot on. It's a Media play—they played a way longer than they should have by going to fucking Ward County, North Dakota, and interviewing a deputy sheriff. That's just to sell more papers.
2: Well, yeah, I don't it, think that was Terry himself. I don't think that was the, well, I'm the, sure the it, Daily it, News. I'm sure, it got, I'm
1: sure it got covered. All right.
2: They uh,
3: certainly sensationalize right. everything, and and you know it had to be covered. It look if. If they're not shining a magnifying glass on this and all, you know, 13 related killings were happening. The first oh, thing yeah. people would say was, why the hell didn't the paper tell us the 13? Right. So, but it's the sensationalizing of it. And that is what you brought up with the son of Sam. That is intended to strike fear. The night stalker. You right. you pick a serial killer. They all have
1: these scary nicknames. The son of Sam
3: grew. Well, he
2: gave himself that name. Yeah,
1: but he grew. I mean, he didn't give himself the name in the beginning. And he they grew. were, he did killings. They he were got off wanting. to him. And he, he escaped, and so now he's going to grow, and he, and he starts leaving letters, and you know he just grew until he got busted. For it's why Sean. Hey, but- asshole, learn how to park. Right. It's it's
3: why Sean Vincent Gillis never, you know, he's one of the worst serial killers of all time, but Derek Todd Lee, who was running around at the same time, got all the, the media attention, That's right. and it was why he was referred to as the other Louisiana serial right, killer. Right. That was his, I mean, uh, he should have had a lot worse name than that, right? right but right. because Derek Todd Lee, DTL, was running around, he was referred to as
1: the other serial killer. Right. Not quite as scary. I I think Berkowitz certainly is a special monster, and uh, he he deserves to be in the Crimes of the Century because I actually think he gave way to probably even you know we said profile earlier there were no official FBI profiles at that time I bet you him and Ted Bundy and certain ones like that I know they are they were the catalyst for the FBI developing profiles and everything else so he definitely deserves mention. Uh, or deserves a story. And it, you know what? But you know, I'm making light of some sh- shit like joking about Harry and stuff, but these real people they like got murdered. That's right.
2: Right. And
1: he's going straight to hell. Yep. Where he deserves to be. Hell or jail. Mike, is he still alive?
2: Burkwitz, yeah. <laughs> is he, he
1: is? is he in Rikers or where
2: No, he's moved around. He was in Attica,
1: oh, Attica for a period. But
2: I don't think he's in Attica now. Yeah, no, he's I'm probably sure in a fucking is, geriatric unit you know, somewhere.
1: Mm-hmm. Talking about Because he was older than you. <laughs> well, you're I are only like five wow. years apart. Wow. No, I didn't mean it like that because wow. we we're close in age. <laughs> Actually, you look really good for someone that's five years older than me. Six years older. Than me.
2: Thank, thanks, Woody. All right. I was seven years older than you. <laughs> but who's counting? <laughs> <laughs> Let's put a wrap on it, Jim.
1: Hey, uh, thank you. I want, for, I want to thank you for... For researching this, and, and yeah, he did a great love. job, and, and being able to put your own uh perspective from having lived in that time, even talking about your sister, personal I experience, think it, think it is very interesting. Certainly worthy of being crime one of the crimes of the century.
3: Yeah, thank you very thank much, you much and we will see y'all again on Wednesday. And until next time on Real Life Real Crime Daily, I'm Jim Chapman. I'm Woody Overton.
2: And I'm Mike Agavina.
3: We'll see you Wednesday. Peace. business.
2: Amazing.